Welcome to the Healing Health Podcast. I'm Amber Petty. In this episode, I'll be talking to Associate Professor Martin Henscher from Deakin University's Institute for Health Transformation. We sat down to discuss his research on how Australians are over-medicating and over-consuming our healthcare services. So join us now in the conversation. Firstly, hello, Martin. Hello, Amber. Thank you for agreeing to have a conversation with me about something that I find very, very interesting. But I wanted to first start with you are a person that has a very impressive CV, and I would like to just have a little discussion about that before we get into uh, your research. So I'm told that you've worked as an economic advisor to health departments in Australia, the United Kingdom, and South Africa, and as a consultant for the European Commission, the World Bank, and the World Health Organization. Is all of that true? That is all true, yes. Okay. Is charged. So tell us, what is health economics all about? Economics and health economics mm. over the past, let's say, 20, 25 years has become increasingly important for health systems all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody really is battling with the same problem, which is um, we could spend as much money as we wanted on healthcare, yet there would still be more things we could do. There yeah. would still be more treatments. And uh, so uh, a key question, even in the wealthiest countries of the world, really mm. is are we making sure that our spending is um, efficient? Yeah. Is it being allocated to the best possible uses? Are we getting the best possible outcomes that we can for every dollar spent? Mm. So that's... Very important, even in a country as rich as Australia. Mm. And you can imagine in uh, low-income countries and developing countries across the world, it's even more crucial. Every dollar wasted or every dollar spent on something which uh, is less, has less impact on people's health mm. is a dollar that could actually have saved lives mm. elsewhere. Um, so economics has become increasingly important mm-hmm. um, in healthcare. And um, particularly... National governments uh, therefore need to have um, specialist advice on economics, but from people who understand healthcare systems. Mm, um, mm. So people, you, you know, who have a kind of deep knowledge of mm. health and and healthcare. And I've been incredibly fortunate by, um, if I'm really honest, at the beginning, an almost accidental process mm. of ending up um, having just an amazingly interesting and fulfilling career doing Mm, that. Wow, you've had an incredible career working all over the world in all sorts of interesting capacities. You're now here as a a lead researcher at the Institute of Health Transformation for Deakin University and the research you're doing is looking into Australia's overconsumption of healthcare and overtreatment. What does that actually mean? What is that looking at? What is that saying? (laughs) For sure. Okay. So I think for many years, people have had a suspicion that um, sometimes we are providing care to patients that they didn't really need. Yes. Okay. (laughs) That, that, you know, would, um, is not really offering them any benefits. Yeah. Okay. Um, You know, and 
there are all sorts of things that can make that happen, ranging from, you know, the sheer sort of profit motive of mm-hmm. let's, uh, you, you know, do as much as we possibly can through to... Is that for drug companies? Okay, Who so the, benefits with what you're just sort of saying there? All right. So across the board, mm-hmm. and I think, I'd look, I'd... I'd, I'd um, I'll, go, I'll, I'll kind of carry on with what GP. I was going to say yeah, sorry, yes. um, before we go back, yep. uh, before before we um, we defame anybody too much. <laughs> um, so what I was going to say is, you know, the reasons why this might happen range from simply making money mm-hmm. by selling more stuff, as in any industry, through to at the other end, really uh, the very best of intentions of believing that we want to offer the very best care for mm-hmm. our patients and then that clearly involves giving them every possible option that we possibly could do and doing everything for them just to be on the safe side uh, so it can range from yeah. the mercenary to the completely well-intentioned and altruistic this is what the lucky and, country looks yeah. like and of course those things can merge in the middle yeah. um, and this problem of uh there, there, there are two parts to this problem, mm. if you like. One is called overdiagnosis, mm-hmm. and one is called overtreatment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the overdiagnosis part of this problem occurs when uh, patients are diagnosed as having a disease or yeah. having a condition, um, and they do indeed have that condition, but that condition was actually probably never going to make them ill. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, a great example of overdiagnosis um, comes um, in a really extreme example comes from South Korea. Okay. And thyroid cancer. So cancers of the, the, the thyroid mm-hmm. gland. All right. Um, in basically once um, first CT scanning and then MRI technology began to become available on, on a, a large scale. Um, for reasons that are still not really understood, but in South Korea, doctors became very enamoured of um, screening people, giving people CT scans Mm. to see if they might have evidence of thyroid cancer. And once they started doing that, they started um, diagnosing ever greater numbers of people as having thyroid cancer. And as a result, lots of people started having surgery on their thyroid glands, which is quite nasty surgery because mm, of where it is and yeah. uh, with all sorts of horrible side effects, etc. Um, and n- the numbers of people getting this treatment went up and up and up so that South Korea has rates of thyroid surgery sort of, you know, five, six times higher than other comparable countries. Yet the death rate from thyroid cancer remained unchanged all the way through this period. So even though they were operating on more and more people earlier and earlier, mm. they actually weren't saving anybody Yeah. Um, because, in fact, they were operating on people who were not actually ever going to become sick, far less die yes. of thyroid cancer. Yes. Um, and another good example, which is more familiar to people in Australia, is the, and the, it, this is more complex, but the very complex issue of prostate cancer. So what we know about prostate cancer is that, um, you know, it is for men, it's one of the most common forms Mm. of cancer. And a very significant proportion of men 
who die in old age yeah. will, on autopsy, have evidence of having mm. prostate cancer, but it wasn't prostate cancer that killed that them. them. Yeah. Um, and prostate cancer actually, it, it does, it absolutely does kill yeah. men. And 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 there are men, there there are many men who do require the proper treatment, treatment for it. Yeah. But um, most men who have prostate cancer, it will not be that that actually does for you in in the end. Yeah. Um, and again, prostate cancer treatments, uh, they're getting better, but they are quite invasive. They have difficult side effects, difficult, mm. uncomfortable, and, and, you know, kind of reducing quality of life side effects. So uh, there are very complicated trade-offs to be had, but there is often a tendency that as soon as we've got a new technology... Yeah. We just want to use it more and more mm -hmm. on as many piece, people as possible. The problem with that is that for most technologies, uh, initially, they're highly effective. As, as we begin using them on more people, they, they initially, you know, once we've worked it out and we get it right, mm. they're very effective because initially we're using it on the sickest people who most need it yeah, you yeah. know objectively really need it but then what we tend to do is we tend to give it to more and more people who are less acutely sick and it, is that but, because it's creating a lot of fear and talkability so people are going you need to go and check that out as if it's a it's something you're more likely to have? Well, so we, look, we do see that with some diseases and particularly cancer. Mm. Uh, there is a great tendency um, for, uh, you know, for the very best of reasons that we want people to be aware of cancer mm. And, mm. and, you know, we want people to get early diagnosis but, and that can quickly spiral into mm. um, a bit of a panic Yes. At times, yeah. and you can they, it can kind of get whipped up, but often it's it's not even that. It's often actually much more to do with clinical practice and kind of clinical norms. What yes. is, you know, what what are doctors in a particular specialty? What's their kind of current idea of what should I be doing for people? And what's and technology exciting them yeah, too? Exactly, and te to technologies move very fast. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you know, if the guy down the road has now got. You know, the, the machine mm. that goes ping, well, mm. I want one too because I want to be, you know, clearly be at the top of my game. Mm. Um, but also, yeah, you know, particularly in the pharmaceuticals uh, sector, drug companies, again, quite reasonably, they invest in marketing their drugs um, to, to doctors. So they will invest quite uh, quite heavily. And one of our, one of our uh, I think, a real kind of paradox that as a society in Australia, and it's the same is true in all developed countries, mm. um, is we quite rightly, we want to prevent disease. Mm. Of course, we want to prevent disease, and that's absolutely right. Um, and we want to intervene early before people actually get sick. So yeah. even if you can't prevent somebody getting something, let's intervene early yeah. um, uh, 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 before it's effects have become too bad for that patient and that's completely reasonable yeah. uh, but that often has a kind of takes on a momentum of its own and we see that in uh, many areas that drugs are introduced initially to treat people who are very sick mm. then they get they start expanding their use into people who have the condition but are less sick, so mm -hmm. they're used in a kind of management, ongoing management way. And then the next threshold, which we see with a lot of in a lot of cases, is 
we then have the bright idea of, well, maybe we could use this to prevent this condition. Mm. So we start giving them to people who actually don't yet have the disease, but maybe show some risk factors for whatever that disease mm. is. And of course, then once we're starting to use pharmaceuticals in particular as preventive programs, you know, we might actually then be handing out drugs to possibly millions of people, mm -hmm. certainly hundreds of thousands. And this is where the real, the, 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 the real problem at the heart of kind of overtreatment and overconsumption comes is that um, when you're sick and when we're using, when we're concentrating our treatments on the people who are sickest, mm. we tend to get a lot of benefit. And the side effects and the adverse effects, which come with all treatments inevitably, if you're already pretty ill, it's entirely reasonable mm. to take your chances yeah. on even quite nasty side effects. That's yes. that's absolutely yeah, reasonable. You, you haven't got a lot. You've got Ex a lot. Exactly. You haven't, you haven't got a lot to lose. Nothing to lose. You've got a lot to lose. Uh, and a lot to gain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, look, it might go wrong, but, you know, in the yeah, extreme, I'm if you were going to be way. dead anyway, well, why not? Correct. So that's absolutely reasonable. But as we start treating more and more people mm. who are less and less sick, yeah. for most adverse events and most side effects the risk of having an adverse event is the same mm. whether I'm really sick or completely well because, you know, I'm giving you a drug which, for example, you know, might have some small risk yeah. of causing a heart attack. So that risk is constant mm. for everybody. Yeah. The benefit is very big for somebody who's very sick. Yeah. But if I'm really not very sick at all or not sick, just mm. have some risk factors, yeah. um, I've still got that, whatever it might be, one in a thousand chance of a heart attack yeah. as a side Which effect. Which I've just upped that I didn't necessarily But have I didn't actually, but this drug is not necessarily giving me any benefit yeah. at all. So, And the more people we do these things that in, obviously the bigger the harm yeah. um, that is actually coming out of the healthcare system. Partnering with businesses big and small, Deakin offers world-class research and development expertise, first-rate facilities and global leading talent to develop game-changing solutions. Ranked in the top 1% of universities globally, Deakin is a world leader in research across multiple industries. Whether it's tackling the challenges of health systems in society, developing future materials for a circular economy, or shining a light on a brighter energy future, Deakin Research can take your business to the next level. To find out more, head to deakin.edu.au slash collaboration. Deakin, more than a university. Are you seeing out of your research who is the percentage most likely to blame for that happening? Because, again, me not being um, educated in this area, as an average person I think, okay, so there's the doctors over-prescribing, over which there must be reasons for, I don't know, like, okay, I'm going to be sound really judgmental here and say, is that a generational thing with uh, some GPs and health specialists? Because my personal experience is that's what I've seen. Much more quickly, an older GP has been sliding across a prescription to me and I slide it back and say, I think we've gone a little early on that. Then there's obviously people who, you know, have different programming and fears. You know, if I grew up with a fearful mother about health and, you know, wellness, then I'm probably going to end up a bit of a hypochondriac. So I'm probably more likely to go than my friend who didn't grow up with that mother. So there's those sort of contributing factors. And then, of course, there is the drug companies. 
going push, push, push. So I want to, yeah, so I want you to sort of respond to that little triangle and add any, uh, you know, any other kind of perpetrators that I, I don't know of. And then I want to talk about who gets to sign off on these drug companies getting the green light. Okay. So great questions. Um, and um, I mean, let me try and turn it around a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it is, um, it's not really accurate, let alone fair, mm -hmm. to sort of say, let's, how do we attribute blame here? Mm -hmm. But absolutely, let's talk about causes mm -hmm. and um, the forces which are yes, at work yes, yes. making that, making this that's happen. That's a better word that I should um, use. You know, the forces. Uh, if we want to use blame, yes, we should probably get the, the solicitors department in first. But no, <laughs> I, but no, and it actually it is it's more complex than that. So yes, look, sure. this um, you know this is really one of those truly systemic issues okay so yeah. there's no particular actor or set of particularly bad actors yeah. um, who are just driving this for their own nefarious reasons yes. what you have is a whole system of healthcare so both the kind of let's say the clinical model of healthcare and the business and commercial models of healthcare, yes. uh, which are all coming together along with a whole load of societal and cultural expectations, mm -hmm. both amongst health professionals and on the one hand yep. and a, among patients and the public um, on the other. And that's them, yeah. all coming together. So let's say so maybe let's, you know, let's yeah. kind of walk around that kind of like quagmire. Yeah. With things moving <laughs> so, so what's kind of, you know, what, 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 what might be going on there mm. in, in, in different places? Um, so, um, a great deal of the time, um, you know, uh, a lot of what is going on um, where over-treatment and over-diagnosis, over-prescribing, mm -hmm. et cetera, all these things, where they're happening, I think it is genuinely often happening for the best of intentions, mm -hmm. however misguided that might then subsequently turn out to have been. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, if you like, the core problem in healthcare. So there's a uh, uh, the, the the father, really, the grandfather of health economics, is a bloke called Kenneth Arrow, uh, who was an American economist in the 50s and 60s, who was really one of the first economists to start looking at healthcare. Right. He also, very interestingly, was one of the first economists to ever start looking at the environment and environmental problems as well. So a very interesting man. Wow, who, ahead uh, of his time. In my, sort of, we might talk about later. I've seen how some of these. Trend, these sort of uh, you know threads mm. link right back mm, to stuff we've actually understood in some ways for a very long time. But he identified very early on, so in the early 60s, that kind of, if you like, one of the fundamental uh, problems of healthcare or, or defining features of healthcare is the technical name is what he calls an information asymmetry. But what that simply means is between a doctor and a patient – why do you as a patient go to a doctor? Well, because a doctor knows more than you do mm. about diseases and what's wrong with people. So we're going in the same way that you take your car to the car mechanic because he knows how to fix it mm. and you don't. Mm. You go to the doctor because 
you might know that you're sick, but you rely on the doctor's knowledge, his professional, his or her professional experience and expertise mm. to then get to the bottom of what's going on and recommend, hopefully, what would be an appropriate course of treatment. So we have this imbalance of information, um, which makes us go uh, to the doctor in the first place. But one of the particular problems as well is that there's another imbalance in that relationship, which is, of course, in the other direction. It's very hard, if not impossible, for the doctor presented with a patient to really understand, well, what do you really, what do you really want here? Well, yes. and once we're, you know, I mean... There's the mind sure, reader you know, and no, exactly. bo- actual body yeah, scanning, yeah. you know. I've, I've broken my leg. Yeah. Look, that simple. We'll reset it and put it in a cast and everybody's yeah. happy. There's no ethical dilemmas there. There's no nothing complicated yeah. going on. But once we get to... You know, complex conditions, your your cancers or, you know, very difficult and complex conditions which yeah. might require difficult and demanding treatment therapies mm. for people. People have very different views yeah. uh, about what do they want, what are really the goals of what they want. The best doctor in the world, as you say, is not a mind reader. They can't get into yeah. your mind, you know, yeah. whatever you're presenting and problem people is. people often do have yeah. sort of agendas, uh, very, even if they're yeah, not conscious. Very complex, yeah. very complex stuff. So, that, so the do, you know, you can't quite know. And, and even if, you know, even if we're talking about a condition which, you know, is actually more straightforward mm. to diagnose, yeah. yeah, what treatment, you know, there's usually some choices of treatments, yeah. uh, what's important to people. That's very hard to get out for people. And at the same time, we're asking our GPs to work in a system, whether it's in Australia or the UK or even in the US, we're asking our GPs to basically do what they need to do in, let's say, 10 minutes. Yes. That's I how know. our system yeah. works. Yeah. So, That's hey, an issue you know, system, you're not – exactly. So how far are you ever really going to get into that, given that, of course, on any given day, well, a number of patients are going to turn up and consume 30 minutes each, mm. so everybody mm. else is then being squeezed, yeah. you know, squeezed in. Um, so there's all of those kind of communication type problems. Yeah. One of the, f- the deepest problems, which I think is coming out of my research, is that we, we, really, tr- we, we really struggle as a society – and even as individuals between two kind of a real tension. So on the one hand, healthcare, we view healthcare as, uh, you know, this amazing um, technological miracle. Mm, we can do right. these incredible things. That we're very proud. Yeah, of and we, we, you know, yeah. we have, we can do things to keep people alive mm. that even 50 years ago would have seemed inconceivable to, mm. to, to doctors, you know. Mm. Um, so there's these incredible technologies available, which many of us want the best. And, you know, we live in a world where you can quickly Google all the different options and be, you know, if you, if you spend long enough, you can find up... You know, you can find treatment interventions that even your specialist has never heard of. Yes. You know, so so there's <laughs> that on the one wrong, hand, which are uh, probably wrong a lot of the time. Knows? But they yes, also yes. could be right no, because you, you've got an hour yeah. to spend on yourself, no, and he, he right. or she doesn't. Quite right. So, there, so there's that, but there's that the, the drawer of the technology and of all yes. the things we might be able to do. But on the other hand. What we all so desperately want as humans mm. is really actually care and caring. Mm. Um, that's uh, as much as anything yeah, that's else. It. That's to what be we cared want. For. Uh, and we are 
putting particularly GPs, but also all our other staff, particularly, you know, frontline staff, emergency department, Mm. doctors, nurses, etc. But GPs bear a lot of the brunt of this because, of course, they're the front door Mm -hmm. of of all health systems. Um, We're putting this incredible conflicting burden on them of, you know, well, look, I want you... um, I want you to work out very efficiently and with absolute precision yeah. what's wrong with me and I want you to give me the best possible treatment but I also want as much of your time as I need for yes. you to counsel and reassure me and make me feel that I'm cared for and, and yeah. loved. Yeah. And um, our best health professionals do their very best to try and fulfill both mm. of those needs. But mm. we're asked in some ways, we're asking, making an impossible ask mm. of them to, mm. to do those things, especially when, as I say, we're also actually trying to fit that into a 10 minute appointment mm. with a waiting room full of other people uh, waiting outside yeah. um, to, to get through. Uh, it's therefore not a surprise that um, the simplest option frequently is to write a prescription, prescription. and get things moving. People feel like something's yeah. been done yeah. and the care has been given exactly. rather than... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes exactly. sense. So that's, that's that's you know, that's happening. Um, that, that happens very frequently. Yeah. Um, and even in specialist care, there so are similar pressures. Succumbing to pressure and time yeah, exactly. issues. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when you really look at what the people who can really pay top dollar for mm. private care, frankly, you know... There's no observable difference in the outcomes mm. that any of these doctors achieve. They trained at the same universities. Often, you know, many of them, to be fair, they're operating in the public hospital down the road as well. And mm. they would say that they deliver just the same outcomes yeah. in the public hospital as they do in the private. What you're really paying for is their time. Yes. And you're paying for much more time with them to talk about options. And, and to be in a nicer-looking room exactly. sometimes. <laughs> but, but, but more than that, to feel, mm. you know, to feel that you were being valued as yeah. a patient. Um, and, that, you know, that's, so that, that's one of the many pressures. That, so yeah. we've talked, so, so, that, so that's going on. Uh, one thing, very interesting psychological research, which has been done, which is showing that um, one of the things that uh, concerns doctors a lot and can often influence their decisions quite heavily is they look at a patient and, you know, make their assessment, Mm. diagnosis and thinking about the treatment options. They are often thinking, it turns out from psychological research, they're often really thinking about, well, what, what would I most regret going wrong here if you know if we here are the courses of actions if something went wrong what would i most regret going wrong and that you know very laudable understanding on wanting to avoid making a mistake typically results in them doing more interventions more investigations yeah, more yeah. interventions doing more mm-hmm. stuff right. for patients than really exactly yep. than really might have been necessary if you looked at yes. it objectively because they're just thinking about I want to be covered now yeah. Uh, there are those, and, inter- and many doctors say, one of the forces that drives them in dire- that direction is actually fear of litigation, mm-hmm. medical negligence litigation and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Big but, fears. Yeah, so big, big fears. Um, but interestingly, as I say, a lot of this psychological research suggests that 
it's more than that. It's actually their own psychological need to not to minimise the future regret they might have about having made the wrong decision. And that oh, pushes gosh. them towards a more act, tends to push people towards a more active treatment, very consistently. Yeah, so not necessarily safe, but active. Yes, yes. Covering more bases. We did it's more stuff. It's not saying stuff. that they're being reckless. We've tried to rule out, you know, we'll do these extra tests so that we can rule out yeah. X, Y, and Z, yeah, you, yeah. you know, uh, which actually probably you know, might be very unlikely, very rare, etc. But so there's a whole lot of stuff. And again, why is that a problem? That's a problem because every time we give you a medication, every time we open you up, every time we give you an injection, every time we undertake any sort of um, procedure mm, Even me just you, taking a yeah, pill. You're open to some risk of adverse yeah. events. So the more things we're doing... That risk goes up in a straight line. Yeah. Everything we do adds another another level of risk to you. Not all the harms of healthcare, absolutely not all of them, are due to overtreatment. The best, you know, the the best, most appropriate, most necessary care will still carry with it some risk of harm. Mm. But the problem with Overtreatment, so where you're being treated when you didn't really need it, mm. is that you're still being exposed to all those risks of harm without actually getting the upside yeah, of, of the treatment because you did, you weren't going to benefit no, from it. No, totally. Um, so that's the real problem there. So it's a, quite a big source of avoidable harm, yeah. as well as a use of resources that we could uh, that we could um, you know easily. Allocate. Well, easily is the wrong word. It's not no. easy at all. No, no, but no, no, that no. we could we could um, in principle at least reduce harm yeah. and save, save and money. conserve resources. Yes. Um, so what is so? Are there other areas of your research that we haven't discussed? And what is the what is the hope for your that what is the change or the impact that you're hoping your research is yeah. going to, to to make? Okay. So the so the other big kind of strand of this research uh, that we haven't talked about yeah. that I'm doing, which is I think fairly unique, and very few other people are working on this, is. Um, I became quite interested a few years ago, really just outside of health and my day job. I got very interested in environmental things, yes. you know, and, and um, you know, the ecological, the various ecological crises that mm. are unfolding. I mean, mm -hmm. particularly climate change, but also all the other problems of biodiversity, loss, you know, or you name it, all of these things. Mm. Um, and um, as I got interested in that, uh, started to do a bit of digging around and began to think, well, hey, you know, um, this healthcare must have some part mm. to play yeah, in right. this, um, and um, started to do a bit of bit of background research and discovered that you know there are some people who have been looking at uh, how our health and healthcare and the environment related. Yeah. So when you start to think about it. Um, first of all, I think most people really have no idea about how big healthcare is. Yeah. Okay, so in Australia, healthcare is ten. What falls under the banner yeah, of it? Yeah. Healthcare, the 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 industry of healthcare. Yeah. So all the activity, you know, the kind of formal healthcare sector, is ten percent of the economy. Wow. Okay, ten percent of the Australian economy is constituted by healthcare. In the US. It's 
Meaning the money that's made. The money, the value. So, so, so you know, statistically speaking, ten percent of gross domestic product. So the way we measure the size of the economy Mm -hmm. in dollar terms, ten percent of that is consumed by healthcare or production. Exactly. The 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 production of healthcare. Okay. Um, In the US, it's eighteen percent. Okay, so we're yeah. fortunate here, but you know, and we're very typical. So most yeah. countries like yes. Australia, you're kind of, you know, Canada, UK, yeah. Western Europe are in that, you know, nine, ten, eleven percent of GDP mm. is healthcare. That's that's pretty that's pretty consistent so for those 10%, kinds of countries. Yeah, what okay? is that doing to climate change? Well, or? so there you go. So there uh, was a fantastic study. The first study in Australia that's ever been done on this was done a few years ago. And they discovered that using a what they call a um, it's a sort of life cycle accounting process, which in a very technical way allocates the carbon footprints mm-hmm. of the different all of the resources going into healthcare. Yep. Um, and there, the sim- the bottom line is that the Australian healthcare system, private and public. Um, is responsible for about 7% of Australia's total greenhouse gas emissions. So it's big. So, you know, and if you think about it, if you've got something which is 10% of the economy, uh, it's going to have an impact. And, you know, people go, oh, what's all of that about? Well, look, hospitals are enormously energy-intensive beasts, big, big buildings that have to be climate-controlled continuously with, you know, incredible pieces of electronic kit going on. Uh, They consume a lot of energy just directly. Mm. Um, You think about – so this is not – an Australian um, piece of evidence, but a a UK study I think found that – I think it was something like 9% of all road traffic movements were directly wow. related to healthcare. People going to the doctor, ambulances moving oh people gosh. around, yep. staff, healthcare staff going to work. So it's just it's the sheer size of it mm, means mm, mm. that that it's having that impact. Now, some other things that healthcare is is doing as 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 well is that of course um, pharmaceuticals unavoidably are made out of fairly unpleasant chemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're finding is increasing concern about pharmaceutical pollution of the environment happening at both ends of the system, literally. So uh, there is concern in many countries about release of um, pollutants from pharmaceutical manufacturing at the manufacturing end. God, I hadn't even thought Not, about it yet. You know, and that's a lot of that is about how reg- how well regulated things are so it's less less of a problem in a country like Australia mm. but in India which is an enormous pharmaceutical manufacturer there are rivers where you can basically if you had an infection you could drink the water out of that river and you'd be receiving close to a full dose of antibiotics because there's just so much coming out yeah. but even in the rich wow, countries so what we can't do anything about is at the other end um, most pharmaceuticals, if you take a tablet, all right, for most drugs, something between 
30% and 90% of the active ingredients of that dose mm. will pass straight through you mm-hmm. and come out of the other end in your urine. Okay, and depending on exactly how the wastewater is being treated, etc., there's quite a lot of drugs which, without spending vast sums on really complicated, you know, kind of unfeasible filtration systems, that then is moving through water treatment uh, plants into the natural environment. Um, So there's some concern about, you know, some some evidence that some of those drugs are actually having direct environmental impacts, but even more concern that um, something we haven't touched on, which is antibiotic resistance and antimicrobial resistance, that uh, which is a really big problem mm-hmm. around the world, uh, that uh, the problem of antimicrobial resistance might be being compounded by these you know, excretion of drugs and drug pollution out into the natural environment. So there's all kinds of things going on in the healthcare system. Healthcare, you know, uses very resource intensive, using lots of plastics, using, you know, for disposable, uh, disposable products, etc. You know, now, in Australia, these are very safely managed and well looked after. But you know, we're using um, we're using radioactive materials in healthcare. Yeah. One of the few sectors where we're using sort of quite serious um, quantities mm. of radioactive materials. Uh, not so much in Australia, but in Brazil, there were horrible incidents a couple of decades ago of radioactive waste from hospitals getting out into the community and causing very nasty cancers and things so you know who who supervises that within australia like uh, who so i can't remember the name of the agency but Mm. there is an agency responsible for radiological safety Mm. and that sort of stuff is very well regulated in um in developed countries but ultimately you know that radioactive waste has got to be disposed of somewhere and we're building it up slowly slowly so there's all these pathways by which the healthcare system can be having an impact you know a negative impact on on the environment when you then combine that and i guess this was the kind of light bulb that may push me down the the work i'm doing when you combine Mm. that with what i've been talking about about the overconsumption of healthcare. Here we are, if we're over-treating people, giving them more care than they need, we're giving them things that are not going to give them benefit, we're exposing patients to the risk of harm, and we're doing damage to the natural environment Mm. all at the same time. So there's a whole set of kind of negative impacts that potentially we could eliminate or at least reduce without any harm to patients because this overconsumption isn't doing anybody any good. Withdrawing over treatment doesn't hurt anybody. Mm. You've saved them money and you've no longer exposed them to a risk, but they were never going to benefit from that treatment mm. in the first place. So uh, so that's what's really driving me here now is to think about this mm. um, because, I, you know, my view is whilst, you know, environmental policy and climate change is remains very vexed in this country and elsewhere, really, policies are going to change over mm. the long run. And uh, I think, you know, if, if you look at this stuff closely, um, it's pretty clear 
that as a society we're actually going to have to adjust our levels of consumption mm. of everything. Mm. We, we, it's not just about going green. It's not just about renewables. We're mm. actually just going to have to consume less stuff. Mm. And if we have to consume less stuff, well, the obvious place to start is with the stuff that's not doing us any good. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting because when we talk about overconsumption, we all, you know, we tend to think of people with their iPhones and, you know, kind of too many holidays mm. and flying around the world and stuff. And that absolutely, that is all mm. overconsumption mm. that frankly... But it's human nature you know, to overconsume, yeah. so we should it apply is. that to all... It is. But then the interesting thing in healthcare, and, and so this is, you, you know, what makes it very fascinating is that in healthcare, unlike in some other areas of the economy, we're actually beginning to be able to measure and mm. quantify the extent of this overconsumption and then perhaps actually be able to do something about mm -hmm. it. So that that's what I think is really interesting to me is mm -hmm. how can healthcare actually contribute to reducing the harms mm. that come from healthcare both to humans mm. and to, you know, the wider environment. Mm. We have to wrap up now, but just as a sort of final like a, a takeout what are you hoping with your research? Like it's fascinating and it's very thought-provoking and obviously very relevant to health professionals, the government and me as an individual in my own kind of behaviour. What are you hoping, like, what do you, like, you know, what do you, what do you hope you pass this research on, um, you know, in five years or what, what do you hope comes of it? Okay. So many things, but maybe yeah. I'll focus on two, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So... In the shorter term, mm. um, I would really like uh, governments, particularly the federal government, but also to some extent state and territory governments yeah. in Australia, governments and uh, research funders to do two things. The first, I think, is to take more seriously um, the problem of overconsumption and overtreatment. Mm. Uh, there are many fantastic researchers working in this area in Australia, um, but it's not been as well-funded as it should, okay. I think. So I'd like them to focus, more money, more I'd like them to focus on yes. that and to recognise that much of our research funding is really focused on, understandably, on developing new technologies, commercialising yeah. new technologies, doing more stuff, and to actually recognise that maybe even our research system sometimes can be part of the problem here mm -hmm. and that we need to be investing properly in avoiding overtreatment and being a bit more careful that needs as decent as much research funding as the new technologies yes. do or a, sh a fair share of the overindulging in exactly. the new technologies so i'd like i'd, I'd like um, you know governments and research funders to take that on yeah and frankly i'd like uh, federal government and federal funding agencies um, to actually start putting some money into uh, proper research on climate change, health and yeah. healthcare. Yeah. Uh, so really, um, for several years, there's been very little funding uh, for research mm. into to, uh, climate change and environment and health. Yeah. Um, and I think that needs to that needs to change. Mm. Longer term, though, what I'd like to be able to contribute to, uh, which is much harder, mm. a, a much um, loftier goal, but this is really is to start changing both the professional, the health professional, and the public mm. 
culture mm -hmm. and just really let get people to start thinking more critically about healthcare that pretty much like everything else um, more is not always better yeah. and that in healthcare as in all areas of life there is such a thing as enough mm -hmm. now we all might have different ideas about what that enough is yes. but we actually have to start as long as we can start from the starting point that there is some level which is sufficient for our needs mm. and more is not always better yeah. and that's everything from how we're training our health professionals yeah. and the kind of environments we're putting in them in where we can actually let them and support them to mm. make decisions to maybe not prescribe that additional mm. drug mm. for the patient mm. maybe we'll just see how this one goes yes. and that that would give them a culture where that is the right and the safe and the prudent thing yeah, to do that they'll yeah. be rewarded for. But also for us as patients and not just as patients ourselves, but mm. also when we're supporting our family and loved ones when they are sick, that we also think critically about is doing everything possible necessarily the best outcome mm. what, what do mm. I really want here mm. and in particular this is at its hardest but also it's most important towards the end of life mm. that we really get better and great work has been done in this area but mm. there's loads more to do that we can get better about supporting people to make choices based on really what they want to achieve mm. and what mm. do they want to get out of their last months of life how can yeah. we give them the best quality to do what they want to do mm. rather than necessarily always steering people towards doing having Lingering. every that Lingering. last round Prescribe. of experimental yes. chemotherapy or, or whatever yes. it is just in case yeah. we might do some more and yeah. I, that that's a I huge, that's huge cultural yeah. change for us as a yes. whole society yeah. yeah just because it can be done is not necessarily that it needs exactly it should be done um it feels like just everyone's discernment on all ends of it just needs to to increase fascinating and thank you so much for doing the work too because i think it's just so important and i do hope that episodes like this like podcasts that people will start having these conversations and sharing you know episodes like this because yes. that's the way it'll get on the no on the, on the rotation out there absolutely that leads to the funding and the the changes so absolutely. thank you very much thank you Thanks for joining in the conversation with us about our healthcare system. If you'd like more information on any of the topics or researchers in this series, simply head to iht.deakin.edu.au.